discover the inherent power of God in you. Whether there are challenges or not, we are still the same. We are constant. God is constant. God does not change. And that is the life that we have received. It says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is the same life we have also received. We are also the same yesterday, today, and forever. What kind of life? We, we, we are the same because we have the same life with Christ. So when you think about God, think about you. Because everything He is. That is why He told Abraham, He said, I am your, your exceeding great reward. God gave Himself as a reward to Abraham. And we are the seed of Abraham. Therefore, we have inherited God Himself. Listen to Pastor Oti Boatin as Christ is magnified in you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you please be seated? To God be the glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. So we, we are grateful to God for another year. Um, we always just can't wait to come to have fellowship with you. Yeah, you are special people. Wow. Hallelujah. Wow. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's good to see all of you. And God bless your pastors and your leaders for what they are doing here. God bless you. And God bless our bishop. <laughs> Hallelujah. He's a true bishop and a proper bishop. We thank God for your obedience to the call. Hallelujah. And being a great shepherd, you are blessed to have a good pastor. Hallelujah. Are you ready for God's word? Yeah. Yeah. Grateful. Bishop, thank you for bringing me to our fellowship with uh, wonderful people. Yeah. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hallelujah. We come, we, we come with the same team, but this year we brought Dr. Nanayo. Yeah. 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 He, he left his church, left his flock. Yeah. 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 And Pastor George too is here. God bless you for the job. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are also here. Genesis 26. And there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. Isaac went unto Abimelech, king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Verse 2, and the Lord appeared unto him and said, unto, and said, Go not down to Egypt, into Egypt, dwell in the land that I shall tell thee of. Let's read verse 6. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And Isaac, now say after me, and Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. verse 12, and Isaac sowed in that land and received in the same year. And hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. And the man waxed great and went forward and grew until he became very. This is your portion. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I want to encourage you to uh, meditate on God's word. Get to the podcast and all that we've been preaching and teaching, get to it. And uh, let the word possess you. And you'll be blessed. How many of you will do that? Yeah, but just, just give yourself to God's word. Yeah, 
all the word we are preaching in this season, give yourself to great meditation. Hallelujah. The Bible says Isaac dwelt in Gerar. You know, the Bible is amazing. God gives us a lot of faith pictures in the Bible. The Bible is a photo album of Christ. Now, in verse 6, he dwelt in Gerar. You know, in Hebrew, Gerar in Hebrew is the word is meditation. Yeah, Gerar is meditation. Say, I will dwell in meditation. And look at the result in verse 12 and 13. See, and he sold in that land and received the same year at hundredfold. Hundredfold is not hundred percent. Thirtyfold is not thirty percent. Thirtyfold is three thousand. Sixtyfold is six thousand. Hundredfold is ten thousand. Yeah, that same year. Now that's that, that's it. This is a picture God has hidden a word for us. If you dwell in meditation, If you dwell in meditation, you bring forth <laughs> harvest. Hundredfold, I'm telling you. Meditation. All your First Timothy four fifteen. Look at what you see. Uh, Paul told Timothy. First Timothy four fifteen. Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them. That thy progress, advancement, profiting. You see, as you meditate, profiting comes. Advancement comes. Progress comes. May appear, King James says, to all. But the Greek says, to all and in all. So you have progress in all. In all means, you see progress in your academics. You see progress in your marriage. Progress in your relationship. Progress in your finances. Progress in your intimacy with God. You see progress in all. Everything you do, you see progress. Then to all, it will become evident for others to see. Yeah. Meditation. So I, I want to encourage you to... Get the word into you, soak yourself in it, and speak it every, every day. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Will you do that? Yes. Dwell in Gera. Don't go anywhere. He wanted to go down to Egypt. Many believers are running down to Egypt, but the secret is in Gera. Yeah. If you just, you are too busy doing so many things, just dwell in meditation, and a hundredfold will come. Lift up your hands and let's pray. Mora, Akta, Samba, Ilaba, Kamba, Shibra, Titi, Kraba, Sumbo, Abalaka, Taya, Tele, Mama, Stuti, Kara, Abalaka. Wonderful Holy Spirit, this meeting is in your hands. Take preeminence, brood, and move over us. Thank you for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, Father. Bara, Baraba, Kamba, Rabata, Kile. Mama, Shiba, Kama, Kama, you are moving, you are enlightening, revealing, empowering, and we thank you and we praise you. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, Second Corinthians 5, verse 21. Now, I'm speaking on the subject why Jesus became Son. Why Jesus? The Bible says, for, for he hath made him to be sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. Praise God. Hallelujah. Ask your neighbor, why did Jesus become, why was he made sin? Why Jesus became sin? All right. 
very fundamental to our, to our faith, very important, but it determines a lot of things. One of the powerful verses in the entire scriptures. Hallelujah. God, there's something God wanted. There's something God demanded. There's something God actually looked for that was going to make him happy. What God wanted was that God wanted righteous people. But you see, um, not any kind of righteousness. The kind of righteousness God looked for was a kind of righteousness that met all the demands of the law and satisfied his impartial justice. That's the kind of righteousness he looked for. The kind of righteousness that satisfied all the requirements of the law and fulfilled God's inflexible justice. That is to say that the kind of righteousness where God will say that, ah, this is it. I'm pleased with this one. This kind of righteousness glorifies my throne. It glorifies my throne. This is the kind of righteousness I, I, I like. And that righteousness, righteousness had to meet the demands of the law. And it's not a joke. You know, when we say the law, there were, the law had 613 laws. Not 10 commandments. It was 613. All the rabbis, rabbis agree. 613. Uh-huh. So, the kind of righteousness he required was that that righteousness should meet all the demands of the law. 613. 613 laws. Met all of them. And satisfied. <laughs> the righteousness should, should be so high that it will satisfy infinite justice. That means God, justice is satisfied. I'm pleased with this. Hmm. But that kind of righteousness, nobody could attain to it. Now, all the best men in the Old Testament could not. Moses did not measure up to it. David did not. Job, even before the Lord, Job did not meet that kind of standard. Not Job, not Abraham, not even not Noah, not even Enoch. Yeah, not Daniel, not Joseph, none of them. Yeah. But when you read the Bible, the Bible tells us that some of these guys were righteous. And the Bible says some of these guys were blameless. So why is the preacher saying, although they were righteous and blameless, the words righteous and blameless were used in a limited sense? They were used in a... (laughs) They were relative, in a relative sense, not in an absolute sense. So when it comes to the absolute sense of righteousness, the Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. Romans 3 verse 10. Uh But when it comes to limited righteousness or relative righteousness, that is what uh, we see some of them described with. And anyway, some of them became that kind of righteousness. They became righteous based on the sacrifices of the old covenant. So when it comes to the kind of righteousness that satisfied inflexible justice, inflexible justice, God's inflexible righteousness, that met all of his demands, there was none. Since Adam, there was none. Everyone fell short. Except one man appeared on the scene. 
God in the flesh. Our Lord himself, Jesus Christ. He was the one, my brother, my sister. Jesus was the only man who satisfied God's impartial justice and who fulfilled all the demands of the law. Now, Jesus didn't only fulfill the law. He magnified the law and made it honorable. I'll explain what it means. He he didn't only fulfill it. He magnified it and made it honorable. Isaiah 42 verse 21. You know what it means? It means to magnify the law and make it honorable. There is the, the letter of the law. Let me call it the letter in a limited sense. Let me call it, call it the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. You know, the law was so high, but when Jesus came, the Pharisees had brought it low to the, to the level they could keep. <laughs> yeah. You know, they had introduced their own additional laws, about 3,000 of them. So the law had lost its pristine glory. Now, the law will say, do not commit adultery. But the law will not say, don't last. Uh-huh. So nobody will... Imp- Have you seen someone taken to court? That, look, he's accused for lasting after my wife. I saw him watching my wife somewhere. So you have to arrest him. There's no law that will, you know, there's no law like that. <laughs> so the law says, as long as you've not committed adultery, you are, you are right. That's the letter of the law. But the spirit of the law is that last is the same. So Jesus didn't only fulfill the law, he magnified it. What the law has not even, even mentioned, in its spirit, in its spirit, he fulfilled it. That the law will say you shouldn't kill or don't murder. But the law will not say don't hate your brother. But John says that he that hated his brother is a murderer. Uh-huh. So Jesus didn't only, I mean, fulfill the part of not committing murder. He went beyond. You know what it means to magnify the law? I remember when I was in Jesus, there was this guy. The guy knew was learned. I mean, the guy was shark. Someone says shark brain. You, you understand? That guy. Hmm. Hey. He wrote, he, I remember one day he wrote an essay. The teachers had photocopied the essays. And, and they, they, they all kept. <laughs> because what the, the, he had written, the teachers can't even write. It was too high. So it's like he beat the marking scheme. And they all kept the photocopy of his essay to themselves. Uh-huh. So when Jesus kept the law, he beat all the standard. Wow. You know? <laughs> and he magnified it. <laughs> he made it honorable. <laughs> you remember some of those guys? Some of those mates of yours were so sharp. sharp. Yeah. Maybe you were the one. Yeah. yeah. People like that. Yeah. Yeah. Bishop Ote and myself were not part of those people. <laughs> <laughs> We're only found by grace. <laughs> Praise God. So Jesus got more than A plus in law keeping and in satisfying God's inflexible justice. More than A plus. If there was something like one twenty percent, Jesus had it. Ah, so this was a kind of man, Jesus. 
Righteousness fulfilled everything. Can you imagine that? All his living, all his perfection, all his standard of righteousness. When you receive Christ, that is given to you as a gift. Wow. <laughs> wow. Please. It's given to you as a gift. Not only that, it is actually imputed into your spiritual bank account. Yeah. Romans 4, verse 22. Therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. The word impute is, a, is the word logizomai. Logizomai in Greek is an accounting term. You go to the bank and you put money into someone's account. So putting money into someone's account is the word logizomai. So, therefore, it was imputed to him for righteousness. He's talking about Abraham. The next verse. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him. But for us also, to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. So, the moment you believe in Jesus, God takes that his righteousness. <laughs> the righteousness that satisfies his that satisfies infinite justice and meets all the demands of the law he takes it and cashes it into your spiritual bank account Hallelujah. praise God Hallelujah. yeah that's why it's a gift Romans 5.17 much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness it is called gift it's a gift that is given and put into your account. So Romans 3.21 Romans 3.21 But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophet. 22 Even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all that believe. So it comes, this one comes upon all and unto all that believe. Hallelujah. That means that when <laughs> it's, a, it's a big gift, it's, a, it's the greatest gift. Yeah. When this righteousness is given to you, that is why you become like Christ in the Father's eyes. That is why he says, as obedient children, he already he calls you obedient. You have Christ's acceptance, it's, it's given unto you. Praise God. But some people are ignoring this kind of righteousness. And, but, and they are saying they want their own righteousness. Uh-huh. It is called self-righteousness. You know what self-righteousness is? Self-righteousness is actually doing things to make you righteous instead of receiving God's gift of righteousness. Now, self-righteousness is doing good things and wonderful things and even spiritual things to make you righteous. Instead of accepting and embracing God's gift of righteousness, that's self righteousness. So there are people who are saved, all right, but they are self righteous. You know, we don't interpret the word self righteous well. Self, what, if you are not conscious of, of God's gift of righteousness, you become self righteous. Or you want God to accept you based on what you are doing, that's self righteousness. You want God to accept it because you are diligent in choir practice. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey. Hey, hey. 
Aha. Uh-huh. So your righteousness is now in qua practice, not in Christ. Aha. Uh-huh. You won't go to accept because you come to church early. And for the past three months, you've given good offerings. So you want that to be the basis of your acceptance. Aha. Uh-huh. She consider you and accept you. So through the acceptance, he may even give you a beloved. See. Yeah. So you can end trying to end it on your own by doing good works. You can even decide to live very holy so that God will accept you by the way you are living. It's a substitute for what Christ did. I'm not saying don't be holy, but that foundation is not good. Uh-huh. The reason is because you see, I keep using the word inflexible justice. God is so his justice is inflexible. What God wanted was not 99% righteousness. Now, if you say you are going by your own self-righteousness and you are righteous 90%, you attract all the cases. Yeah. Because if you break one, you have broken all. Uh-huh. And anytime you take the position of trying to use the good things you are doing for God to bless you, you are in self-righteousness. You have already come under a case. Galatians 3.10. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Galatians 3.10. For as many as are off, not as many as break the law, as many as even take the position of the law of trying to earn God's righteousness by their own works. The law means your own effort and your own works. They are under a curse. So when you receive Jesus' righteousness, all the blessings of that righteousness follows you. Because he kept everything, the blessings follows it. And because it is now given to you fully. Jesus had A plus in living for God. And it's now given to you as a gift. So you either embrace the gift and live in the light of it. Or you try to do you try to write your own exam and get the uh, the, the, No what? Ah, D. You can't. D, you can't. Not even Abraham can get D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah. So how many of you want this want to believe by this kind of gift? Or you want to get it your own? Yeah. Yeah. But many are doing it unconsciously. Yeah. Because you are in church, you are saying that. That's what people get frustrated in church. Because for the past one year, you are wondering why you are doing all these things and God is not blessing you. So now you are basing your blessing on the things you are doing, not on the blessing of receiving the gift of Christ's righteousness. Because when you have that gift, all the blessings follows. But you want your own. You want to end it. Uh-huh. So you get frustrated. And start becoming jealous of those who are getting blessed ahead of you. Yeah. Praise God. But how did this whole thing happen? On what foundation could we become or receive the gift of righteousness? Righteousness is, is a gift and it's, it comes by, it's first a gift, then it's a birth. 
how did we receive this gift and how were we even born righteous or become the righteousness of God through the cross the cross so let's go to our anchor verse 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21 look at this verse well because in heaven this verse will be preached wow. <laughs> this verse will be preached this is the reason Jesus, Jesus came the reason he went to the cross is righteousness. The reason he went to the cross is for one reason, righteousness. So you will become his righteousness. For he has made him to be son for us who knew no sin. It is sad that today in the U.S., there's a group in the U.S. called the BANA, B-A-R-N-A, research group. And they did some statistics in U.S. And it was found out that 61% of Americans believe that Jesus was not sinless. 61%. 25% of professing Christians believe that Jesus actually sinned. And 42% of Americans believe that Jesus is not the only way to salvation. There are other ways. But what saddened my heart is uh, <laughs> it's amazing. The 25% of the Christians who believe Jesus was not sinless, then you are not you are not even saved. I don't know how you, they were saved. Uh-huh. If Jesus, that <laughs> you don't even have a revelation of what G, who Jesus is. Jesus is God. Uh-huh. He came in the flesh. He was not born in the flesh. You and me were born in the flesh. He came in the flesh because of his pre-existence. He pre-existed existence because he brought forth existence. Because without him was not anything made that was made. Aha. Uh-huh. He is before all things and by him all things consist. The Greek says all things are held together. This is Jesus. And there is a reason he left eternity into time. So he had no sin. I, I met a pastor who even told me Jesus sinned. I knew he was backslidden. <laughs> no, no. It's some, there are some things you, you can't apologize for. It. How, how can you say that? No. That's not what we believe. That's not what we believe. That, that's not the core faith. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but Jesus was sinless. Paul says he knew no sin. Peter said, Who did no sin? John said, in him is no sin. Pilate said, I find no fault in him. Jesus said to the Pharisees, which of you convinced me of sin? His enemies couldn't point any sin he had committed. How can you throw a challenge to your enemies and none of them? Which of you can reprove me of sin and nobody could talk? Yeah. Yeah. Pilate, if you know, he, if you know how wicked Pilate was in history, he said, I, I find no fault in him. That itself is a miracle. Praise God. Hallelujah. But my brethren, the wonder and the horror of Jesus being made sin is something that amazes me. The one who was made sin 
I medit- meditated on this. The whole thing struck me. I didn't know whether I should lie down, I should sit down, I should stand, I should jump, I should somersault, I should go. <laughs> yeah, that's why you have to think upon it carefully. He was made sin. Now, I didn't say he became a sinner. He was made sin. Uh, made, oh, made sin. And let me show you its intricacies. Hmm. In Leviticus chapter 2, there's something called the male offering, which is also called the grain offering, sometimes the meat offering, the grain offering. Leviticus 2. Let's start from verse 4. And if thou bring an oblation of a meat offering, baking in the oven, say oven. It shall be unleavened cakes of fine flour, mingled with oil, or unleavened wafers, anointed with oil. The next verse. And if thy oblation be a meat offering, baking in a pan, say pan. It shall be of fine flour, unleavened, mingled with oil. Verse 6. And that, yeah. Now let's go to verse 7. And if thy oblation be a meat offering, Baked, baking in a frying pan. Say frying pan. Frying pan. Now, baking biblically is a symbol of suffering. Baking is a symbol of suffering. When you bake bread, the bread suffers. You know the flour. <laughs> the heat applied to the flour is a suffering of the flour. You know the Bible finds fine flour is a symbol of uh, Jesus' humanity. Suffering. So baking is a symbol of suffering. But there are three levels of suffering that Moses tells us in Leviticus. Three levels of suffering. Suffering in the oven, suffering in the pan, and suffering in the, in the frying pan. So there's the oven suffering, oven type of suffering, the pan type of suffering, and the frying pan type of suffering. All of these things speaks of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Hallelujah. Now, I want to show you what they mean. But there, there, is a, there is the life sufferings of Jesus Christ and the death sufferings of Jesus Christ. Whilst, whilst he was alive, he suffered, true or false. And when he died, he also suffered, true or false. Okay. For information, all that we read here has nothing to do with the death sufferings of Jesus Christ. What we are reading here is the life sufferings of Jesus Christ. I want to show you before we come to the death. You know why? Please, are you following or oh, I'm too fast? The reason is because there are five basic offerings. Okay. Of the five, four points to his death, but one points to his life. Uh-huh. The bent offering of the bent offering points to Jesus' death. Uh-huh. The peace offering point to his death. The sin offering, the trespass offering, they point to his death. But the grain offering or the male offering speaks of his life on earth. Speaks of his life on earth. So one offering that describes Jesus' life on earth is called the, what? the grain offering or the male offering. And this whole chapter is describing the male offering, the grain offering. So we are talking about Jesus' sufferings 
on earth, in, 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 in life, his sufferings in life, not in death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. The grain offering has nothing to do with sin. Because it is, it is a sweet smelling offering. We call it sweet perfume offering unto God. The sin offering was not a sweet perfume. It was a non-saver offering. It wasn't, it wasn't aromatic. God didn't smell to enjoy the sin offering. No. God actually turned his back to the sin offering. Huh. You have to listen to the message I preached in Takradi so you can fully understand. Hmm. The burnt offering was, speaks of Christ and righteousness. So that one, has, that one is a perfume offering, a fragrance offering. So God smells it. It reminds God of his son, the obedience of his son. But the sin offering reminds God of our son. So God doesn't, there's nothing to enjoy in the smell of the sin offering. You, you understand? Yeah. <laughs> there's nothing to so it's, it. The Bible says it is not a sweet smelling offering. But this one I'm describing was a sweet smelling offering. So all of these sufferings that Jesus was suffering, the Father was enjoying it. All right. There's a reason I'm saying all of these things. So, so in the male offering, which speaks of his life on earth, there are three degrees of his earthly sufferings. His life on earth. There is the frying pan suffering. Suffering in the frying pan. Then suffering in the pan. Then suffering in the oven. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe another time we should bring all these things. <laughs> now the oven in those days, when you put the fly in the oven, no one sees what is in it. It is fully closed. It is hidden. Okay. Now in those days, the frying pan was half covered, half open. Yeah. But the pan was fully open. Are you following? Yeah. The oven was fully closed. You wouldn't even see what is burning. But the frying pan was half closed. So you see it halfway. But the pan was fully open. So with the pan, the baking in the pan, you can see whatever is happening. Okay. Now all this describes the sufferings of Jesus. So the oven type of suffering describes the sufferings he suffered on earth which no human eye saw. Now, let me start with the, 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 the pan. Is it the pan? The last one is what? The pan. The, the frying pan is the last one. That was the one that said it's open, right? That is the sufferings everyone saw Jesus being suffered. For instance, the pan is there. Uh-huh. So that one is the sufferings everybody saw Jesus suffering. The Pharisees went against him. They persecuted him. A lot of times they took stones to threaten him. You know, all of that. Then they opposed him publicly. And, you know, everyone saw that, ah, this, this guy is suffering too much. Then they would gather and they would plan against him. That is the, what type of suffering? The pan suffering. Everyone saw it. You just have to be in Israel. You, you just have to be where Jesus is. This guy is suffering. People are speaking against him, insulting him. People, aha, uh-huh. it's the suffering everyone saw. But the second type of suffering, which is the what? The, the public eye never saw it. Only his disciples saw it. Only his disciples. So that has to do with some of it, the sympathy, the compassion, the pain, some of the things he suffered in his feelings. 
the things when he was with disciples, he actually went through the agony he went through, the kind of sufferings in his feelings that he, the public could not see, but those he was with, the disciples could see. That is the frying pan sufferings. And the last one is the oven. The oven type of sufferings, the public couldn't see it. The disciples couldn't see it. Only God saw it. And when did this happen? Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Now, when Jesus was in Gethsemane, actually, the intention was to go with, he went with James, Peter, and John, but they all slept. No, they slept. They didn't know what actually took place. It's the Holy Ghost who inspired them to write. But they didn't see it. Because they slept, he went, the second time he came, they were still asleep. The third time, the guys were, their, their eyes were heavy. <laughs> Jesus came the third time, they were still sleeping. So they never saw what really happened. So what is written is the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Because no one witnessed it. Uh-huh. But what happened there in those three hour moments, because he prayed for three hours, was the oven type of sufferings. Let me show you what happened. Malomaya. These are the things that I, I, I love to see on that day. Because in Gethsemane, huh, why did he pray? Why? The Bible tells us that his sweat fell as great drops of blood. That, that's serious. That is intense stress. His skin pours open. Face vessels. Some of them got broken. Extreme. What happened is called hematidrosis. Yeah. The word sweat and drops in the Greek is hematidrosis. It's a kind of sickness actually. It's an intense to such a point that his blood was dropping as why now why was jesus going through that agony it, it you know what he was dreading it it was in anticipation to what was going to happen on the cross it was in anticipation to not those physical sufferings not one bit did jesus was he dreading the physical sufferings it was nothing to him what he was dreading is that he was going to the, the first time in the annals of eternity deity was going to partake of sin he was going to become sin and the thought of it caused him to sweat blood the thought of it he had not actually carried the sin but the anticipation of going to carry the sin caused him to sweat blood his blood as uh, sweat as blood in agony <laughs> it had not happened yet hallelujah. hallelujah and no human eye saw it in intense agony we do not know what it means for the thrice holy God Jesus himself to partake of sin and what was going to happen at that time the anticipation of it he said father if it were possible take this cup from me that's the only time 
Jesus wanted to do something else from what the Father wanted him to do. That was the only time that Obeyanka let this go. It wasn't easy for him. Not the sufferings, but the sin he was going to partake. But there's a difference between Gethsemane and Calvary. The difference is a, is a, is a material difference. The open type of suffering in Gethsemane is nothing to be compared with the suffering on the cross. In Gethsemane, it was suffering in anticipation. At the cross, it was suffering in, the, in endurance. That's the difference between the two. If the suffering in anticipation can cause all that he went through, how much more when the thing really happened? And there's a difference. In Gethsemane, he was, he was forsaken by men. The disciples even forsook him. They slept. But angelic ministry attended to him. Angels attended to him in Gethsemane. Strengthened him. Okay. On the cross, he was rejected by both men and angels. Now in Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it were possible, take this cup away from me. In Gethsemane, he called him father. That speaks of the ineffable relationship and communion that exists between the father and the son. The ineffable communion. He still called him father. Aha. Uh-huh. So fatherhood, Jesus was still a son. He called him father. Ineffable communion that existed between the father and the son. But on the cross, you know what happened? He couldn't call him father. On the cross, I see the difference. In Gethsemane, angels were helping him. And he could speak to the father because they were in relationship. But on the cross, none of these were there. Men forsook him. Angels forsook him. The father forsook him. Because it was your death. And on the cross, he couldn't say, my father. No. For the first time, he said, my God, my God. He had never called the father, the, the father God before. It was the first time he called him, my God, my God. That means the sonship wasn't there. He lifted up his eyes. All of a sudden, he saw the eternal throne of justice enfolded in, in darkness against him. The supreme court of heaven was against him. Because it was your death and he had become sin. Praise God. So, this is sufferings in his death. Which is far more than the open type of sufferings. Now understand this. Jesus went through many things. They put a crown of thorns on him. They pierced him. They put, all of this was sufferings under the hand of man. You must understand that on the cross he was there for six hours. For the first three hours he suffered in the hands of man. The last three hours he suffered in the hand, under the hand of God. Okay. The sufferings under the hand of God, we don't know what happened. When we go to heaven, we will watch that video. But you see, all that he went through this part on him. I was telling one of the churches that the spitting was done by the whole garrison of soldiers, thousand soldiers. They all spat on him. Then in chapter 26 of, uh, of Matthew, the entire Sanhedrin, 71 members, they all spat on him. So Jesus was filled with spittle. 
They stripped him naked. There were many things Jesus went through. But all of these was just sufferings under the hand of man. You know when he became sin? Three hours. Twelve o'clock to three o'clock. That is when he was made sin. That was when the son, the son even committed suicide, temporary suicide. The, the, the son became black. It, it was the whole earth. The annals of Chinese history tell us exactly that day that there was darkness on earth for three days. It was the whole earth because the son of righteousness had died. Had died. And at that time, Mama, yeah, I told you. Sorry, the son of righteousness, he was undergoing through the horror of great darkness. And at that, that's why I said when we go to heaven, we'll see what happened. It was almost like the father turned him, his back to his son. Almost like the father had to be separated from his own essence. The father had to separate himself from himself. For the first time in all of the annals of eternity, the Trinity had to be separated. You do you know what we are talking about? <laughs> he became sin. He became sin. Mama, mama, mama. Justice did not spare him. That's why when you're taking your place in Christ, you shouldn't spare. You understand? You must see what he did for you. See what he did for you. Every sickness was taken. Every pain was taken. And he boiled. Wave upon wave. Your guilt, your condemnation, your judgment came upon him. Stroke upon stroke. He was judged for every one of them. All your sins, since you were born to the time you see Jesus, all your sins, past, present, and future, together in that cloud of darkness, came over him. Justice was against him. Infinite justice. Hallelujah. He was made sin for us. He was made sin for us. Now, how, did, how was he made sin? Understand that um, Jesus was, didn't become sin. He didn't gossip. Now, he was made sin not by the act, action of sin. He didn't commit sins to be made sin. Did he gossip? Did he commit adultery? Did he tell lies? So he didn't do any work or any deed or any action to be what? To become sin. How did he become sin? By receiving your sin. How do you become righteous? Not by any deed, not by any work, not by any effort, not by what you do. The same way he received your sin is the same way you receive his righteousness. I like the A. Yeah. That does A. Say A. One more time, A. a. Yeah. He was made sin. He didn't have not committed one sin. He just received one sin. So that you can be receive his righteousness. So he received yours, you receive his. He didn't become yours by doing what you did. 
That's it. And vice versa. Say, I am the righteousness of God. So he took all your sins on him. That's when you are praising him, it must be deep. You see, when you are around, just talk to Jesus about his death. Especially, you have to preach to God the Father about the cross. No, the Father wants to, anything about Jesus, the Father wants to hear it. Sometimes I preach to God. You see, hey, no, it shouldn't be A. It shouldn't be A. Because the Father loves the Son and just want to hear. It's like a, maybe you have a son and the son is, uh, is abroad and uh, you love your son and uh, his roommate comes telling you about your, about your son. You just want to hear about your son. Uh, the Father loves to hear about Jesus. Just talk to him. Don't try to make your theology correct. The Father knows everything. Just talk to him. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In Indiana, U.S., Gary, Indiana, there was this lady who was burned in a flash fire. She was burned. And she was dying. So they called for skin donors, for some people to come and donate skin because of what her body had become. So a small boy responded to the call. A little boy and went to donate his skin to cover some part of her body. In the process of doing that, there were certain complications and the boy died. But they could get the skin for the lady who was burned and she lived. So she lived because of the boy donating his skin. But the one, the donor, actually died. If you were the one who was saved, how would your life be afterward? You live all your life in gratitude to what the guy did for you. Brethren, that's what Jesus did for us. Yeah. All our lives must be in gratitude to what he did for us. All our life. All your life must be in gratitude. In um, ancient history tells us of um, in those days, royalty in those days was, some, was, was something else. Now, there was a title that was given to slaves, little boys or slaves. The title was called, let me explain. You know, when you are born in a royal house and you are a son, a prince, and you go to school, and you are supposed to, you are educated, you, you, you are taught, you are supposed to do your homework, and you don't do your homework, or you rebel. Because you are royal, they can't keep you. You can't keep royalty. Even if the boy disobeys, the boy is rebellious, does unwholesome things, does not do his own work, you cannot keep royalty because royalty is royalty. So what they do is that they appoint a slave, a slave, his slave. The title of the slave is called the whipping the boy. Those slaves are called whipping boys. And it's a movie like that. Wow. Whipping boys. So what happened is that uh, can two people come here? Uh-huh. So you are royalty and they're going to mess up. Now, the case will not come, the shipping will not be on you. But they want you to still know that what you did deserved punishment. They still want you to have, give you the consciousness that you deserve to be punished. And you, you deserve, I mean, to know the wrong you've done. 
So they bring this your slave, who is a shipping boy, and all the lashes that should come on you is given to him. So if you misbehave 12 times a day, so he'll just have to bring his back and they will ship him out. And all the anger that is coming on you now comes on him. So he was a slave, but he was a shipping boy. Shipping boy. All your life is for the ships. But once upon a time, something happened in history. There was a change. Jesus came and Jesus is a member of royalty. We were the shipping boys. We were the slaves. The slave rather sinned, deserved death. But royalty rather took the place of the shipping boy. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's what Jesus has done for us. Royalty, very God himself took our place. We were slaves and we were seven. Hallelujah. He became the whipping boy. So we can step into royalty. God bless you. God bless you. Praise God. What a good news. Jesus took our place. He has made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Say, I'm in him. I'm in him. Look, whenever you open the Bible, you don't open the Bible to find yourself. You open the Bible to find Christ. Look for Christ when you open the Bible. You know why? Because when you find Christ, you find yourself. Because Christ is now your new self in him. What he has is what you have because you are joint S. And how God sees him is how God sees you because you are now in him. So Christ is, is your new self, your new identity. Hallelujah. Now understand this. When he was made son, he took your place. Look, look at how horror, the horror of darkness it was. Which we can see the video in heaven when we go home. Or when the rapture comes. But when that happened, you also took his place. Of righteousness. Why did justice, infinite, why was the eternal throne of God averted? Why did they turn against him? Because he was receiving all that you deserved. So that now you can receive all that he deserves. Praise God. Now, let me make a certain argument. When a child is born, how many of you have children here? Do you know that when a child is born and a child is growing, you don't need to teach the, teach the child about lying, but the child will lie. Naturally, you don't have to teach the child about cheating. <laughs> but you realize that the child has other siblings. Somehow they'll be cheating somewhere. And sometimes stealing. It doesn't matter whether their parents are pastors. <laughs> so 
Some people think that it's, it is environmental. When they're in the right environment, it will, it will not happen. It is not environmental. It is in it. It is inherent. Man is born with sin. So you can keep them in the right environment and they may say something that will shock you. You know, this is not Lent. This is from within. Why? Because of the sin nature. So they will produce the fruits, the works of it. Praise God. When someone becomes born again, by birth he becomes the righteousness of God in Christ. Is that not so? The mistake we normally do is that instantly when they become born, become born again, we, we tell them what to do and what not to do. Right, wrong, good, bad, right, wrong, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. <laughs> See, when a child is born, you don't need to tell the child not to, not to lie. You can tell the child, but the thing is from within. <laughs> it, it is natural. When someone is born of God, you don't have to do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. Okay. We introduce the right and the wrongs too early to the person. If we are to teach them to know their new nature in Christ, to become conscious of their new nature, the fruit of righteousness will just follow. To be conscious of who they are in Christ, they will start manifesting their true identity and nature in Christ, I'm telling you. That's what they have to be. They have to be conscious of the new person they are. Just be conscious of it. It happens so. <laughs> yes, you got our sister some Mazda. The Mazda. Is <laughs> that Bishop is laughing? Yeah, hey, you get too many problems. You just leave us somewhere. Oh. Mommy was pregnant with Shalemiah. The Mazda left us somewhere in Santa Maria. Then one day someone told me that I have no idea the capacity of this Mazda. Can you imagine? Told me a lot of things. So as I was driving, I realized that I was dri- going 160. Wow. I-, I was wondering why I was driving like that. Then I realized that I had received that information unconsciously. So I was just manifesting the new information <laughs> I-, I had received. Aha. Uh-huh. 160. With that car. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah. At Blekumo Road. <laughs> so now, if they are conscious of their righteousness in Christ, the good work works to follow. You don't teach children about the things they do. It is part of their nature. It flows. It manifests. If they are conscious of who they are in Christ, you manifest what you see. It may not be too fast, but it will surely come. Yeah. Uh-huh. Normally, the things of the Spirit and of grace seem slower, but it is permanent. Uh-huh. Because Hagar and Sarah, who give, who give birth, birth first? Uh-huh. So, the things of human strength and all those are very fast. Fast and quick result. But they are temporal and they are fleeting. Yeah. Teach them who they are in Christ. They, you may not see the result. Just, just keep teaching them. It's just a matter of time. The result will be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> amazing. Jesus said, I'm the vine. And you are what? The branches. Every branch in me that bear it. You know how long it takes to bear fruit? Two to three years. 
Jesus said we are the vine. It takes two to three years to bear fruit. So uh, don't be in a hurry to be disappointed in six weeks. <laughs> when you don't see fruit <laughs> in your convert. <laughs> and in yourself. Just know who you are in Christ. That consciousness will bring the fruit. The way a, a, a baby will manifest the fruit of his sinnership or sinnerhood. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Now, now, when you understand that you are God's righteousness, something happens to you. Now, whenever you say, I'm the righteousness of God, you know what you are saying? In, in Deuteronomy 28, we have the blessings of keeping the law. A lot of blessings. It's a blessed shall thou be in a city, and blessed shall thou be in a field. Blessed shall thou be when thou goest out, and blessed shall thou be that when thou comest in. Blessed shall be the increase of your kind, the fruit of your body. In fact, the blessings even goes into your kitchen. Yeah. Your dough, everything. Even your kitchen is blessed. Even your animals are blessed. He spoke of the blessings of your cattle. So the one in Deuteronomy 28, who keeps the law fully, the blessings go to his children, to his own life, whether he's home, he's blessed, he's in town, he's blessed, he's in the field, he's blessed, his kitchen is blessed, his kitchen utensils are blessed, the food and his cockroaches may pass over the food, but to be harmless. <laughs> yeah. These cockroaches are everywhere. So they'll pass over the food, but... God has supernaturally sanitized the food. Deuteronomy 28. All these blessings come when the law is fully kept. (laughs) And I told you that nobody could do that. But Jesus fulfilled it and he took it and gave it to you as a gift. So if you are conscious of this gift of righteousness, all the blessings of Deuteronomy 28 are now yours. So whenever you say, I am the righteousness of God, you know what you are doing? You are demanding your rightful blessing. Because the law has been kept. It is yours. It is yours. <laughs> if I'm the righteousness of God, I'm blessed. In my home, I'm blessed. At office, I'm blessed. Yeah, that's it. It has been put into your account. It is there. It is there. So you walk in that consciousness. It's yours. But someone else is trying to live right to get it. That's why he missed it. We have to live right, but don't think you are li- you live right for his glory. But don't think you are do- using that. No, Jesus already. <laughs> the thing is already in your account. Why do you want to struggle for, for it? If you struggle to get it, you will fall short and come under a case. <laughs> Praise God. Look at Romans 14, verse 17. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, go, go back to the blessing. I, I just saw the blessing. I, I, you know, I love blessing. So, I love the blessing. Do you know that the Bible says in Proverbs 10, 13, that the blessing is on the head of the righteous? The blessing is on the head of the righteous. So when you say, I am the righteousness of God, you know what you are saying? The blessing is on your head. Blessed. It's on your head. 
The Bible says that. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for, for us. Oh. That what? The blessing of Abraham. You know the blessing of Abraham? Take time and read Galatians 3 from verses 8 to 15. The Bible never said the blessings of Abraham. It is one, the blessing of Abraham. What is it? Imputation of righteousness. God puts righteousness into Abraham's bank account. The Bible calls it the blessing of Abraham. It is the one blessing that is a password to all the other blessings. So it's a definite article. The blessing of Abraham. That the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles. No, you have to read from verse 8. So because of time, read from verse 8 throughout. The blessing God intended to bless the nations was justification by faith. I don't want to read it because of time. I was just making a statement. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 28. But I want you to know that um, the blessing is righteousness. The greatest blessing in the scripture is righteousness. Christ died so you, you receive his righteousness and be born righteous. The nature of righteousness. And now the blessing of Abraham. The blessings on the head of the righteous. Why? Because God sees you as a hundred percent. You have satisfied infinite justice. Impartial justice. Is satisfied. So everything is yours. Blessings are yours. Let's go on. Verse 3. So whatever I'm reading is yours. Blessed shall thou be in the city. Why? You are the righteousness of God. Now these things will not automatically happen. It will happen if you are conscious of it. What is yours? Blessed shall thou be in the field. Can you imagine? Come on, let's go. Let's see our blessings. Blessed shall be the fruits of your body, your children, and the fruit of your ground, even your garden, <laughs> and the fruit of your cattle, even your animals. Your, your, that means your chicken is blessed. <laughs> hey! The cat you buy is blessed. That means your dogs are even blessed. They are blessed to be in your home. The increase of your kind and the flocks and of your sheep. Blessed shall be your basket and thy store. Kitchen, kitchen, kitchen. That means, <laughs> you see, your barns, you know, your kitchen will be full of food every time. Yeah. There, there, no, there will be no places to keep the food. Yeah. Every time is coming. Yeah. Every time is coming. Yeah. When you go out, you are blessed. Yeah. When you come out, you are blessed. That's it. Your enemies can't even. Your enemies that are coming against you, you don't even know, but they are falling. Hallelujah. Huh. So all of these are yours. It has been kept for you. That's why you have to be conscious I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's why you have to be conscious of that. Because the blessing is on the head of the righteous. Live in that consciousness. Blessed. Blessed. All right. Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. The Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. All his, not your righteousness, God's righteousness. That's what you're talking about. But God's righteousness, God's kingdom is all about righteousness. You want to understand the kingdom of God is righteousness. The first thing is righteousness. Because righteousness always brings peace. If you know your Bible, 
Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Being declared, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God. And the work of righteousness shall be peace. Everything is the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Then peace brings joy in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Bible says you go out with the flow. Hallelujah. So let's see verse 18. What happens if you live in righteousness consciousness? What happens? For he that in these things saved Christ is acceptable to God. He that in these things saved Christ. Now, you have to save Christ in righteousness consciousness. Because the kingdom is righteousness that brings peace and joy. He that in these things saved Christ is acceptable to God. The word acceptable in the Greek is the word well-pleasing. Some versions would even say say well-pleasing. He's well-pleasing to God. For he that... Okay, Amplified added. He who serves Christ in this way is acceptable and pleasing. Okay, so which way? The righteousness. I remember, remember that in the New Testament, righteousness is always faith righteousness, not law righteousness. But now, a righteousness from God is revealed. But now, the dispensation of righteousness is faith righteousness. In fact, the Greek says faith righteousness. That's what he's talking about. He that in this, if you serve God in this kind of righteousness, the Bible says, you know what happens? Acceptable. The Greek says, well pleasing to God. What does it mean? But in Christ, we are already pleasing to God. But something else happens. You have your son in the house. You love your son. But you come home, your son just walks to you and gives you, give you a cheek. I say a kiss on your cheek and tells you something that is warming, that is heart warming. You be moved, is that not so? Yeah. The Bible says that God liked David. That's what the Bible says in Chronicles. God loves everyone, but he liked David. <laughs> he liked him. You understand? Yeah. So, um, it's like you are walking in the consciousness of what his son did for you. Assuming you have children and uh, you get home, the eight-year-old girl or boy every day is worried about how she will pay her school fees. Troubled about many unnecessary things. The other person is free, thinking of nothing, enjoying the father's presence. He loves both of them, but this one is well-pleasing. Uh-huh. It's like he is drawing from the Father. His heart is on the Father. Righteousness is what the Son accomplished for us. So if you take it and walk in it, the Father goes like, ah, this is why my son died. So there's something well pleasing about that to the Father. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Yeah. So if you serve God in these things, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost, the Bible says that well, well pleasing. The father said, yeah, ah, ah, this is it, this is it, this is it, this is it. Like God loved all men, but he liked David. There, there's, and the word is approved, not only on God, but approved. Brethren, if you leave this place and you know you are God's righteousness, he says you'll be approved of men. The word approved here is the word 
Hmm. We get the word dokimazo. From where we get the word dokimos. Dokimos. Now, the word approach here, dokimos, was, um, was a word that was used in reference to money changers in those days, in Bible times. Money changers who are so honorable and so dignified that they refuse to work with counterfeit currency. That's the word dokimos. You know, there are people who are very smart, crafty, so they can mix counterfeit with a real. And those days, it was coins. So you don't see it for their own profiting. But the word approved here are men of integrity and men of honor who are so diligent in their service and they are so full of honor that they would never mix counterfeit money with real money. They, they will only serve you what is true, what is real, what is sincere, what is genuine. That's what approval. What it means is that if you are conscious of God's righteousness, you walk in honor, you walk in integrity, you walk in dignity before men. Nothing of counterfeit will be in your way. Yeah. You wouldn't serve in counterfeit. You do that which is sincere and genuine. Yeah. But if you walk in your own righteousness, all these things will come. You begin to walk in hypocrisy. He that in this thing served Christ. Look, if you serve Christ in righteousness, consciousness, you are well pleasing to God. And you are approved. And the word in Greek actually says honor, honor, and integrity in your dealings. In your dealings. You are true. You are sincere. You are genuine. Every counterfeit is gone. Righteousness of God. Yeah. Righteousness of God. Because you see, right, the rightness and the justice of God is imparted to your spirit if you live in that consciousness. Yeah? It's from an old word, right, right, wiseness. Yeah, righteousness, right, wiseness. You find the word right inside, the word wise inside. So righteousness means you'll be right and wise. <laughs> you'll be right and wise as God. God's righteousness. But work in that. No, you are his righteousness. No, you've been made it. You've been made so. And the fruit will manifest. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Back to our verse. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He was made sin for us. Who knew no sin? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The next verse. The next verse takes us to you know that I want you to understand that the chapters are not inspired by God. They were not part of scriptures, and the verses were not part of scriptures. So don't let it limit you. So this is the next verse. The chapters were put in in the year 1515 by Stevens. And it, uh, that's the verses. And the chapters in the 12th century by Cardinal Hugo. So it, it's not part. So this is really, really, really the next verse. Hallelujah. <laughs> so the next verse is... <laughs> We then, as workers together, oh my, with him. I like the word workers together with him. We, we are workers together with him. You know, the word here is the word 
to Nedia. And that is when it is anglicized or transliterated, we get the word synergy. Synergy. Yeah. Soon means together. Agos means work. So we are not working for God, we are working with God. Yeah. He's a senior partner. It's like a child with his father trying to um, they, they, they want to just they have a, a, a mower and a, they want to clear a, 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 a parcel of land. The father now gives the child direction. Do this, do this, start here. You know, God is a senior partner and we have the privilege of being workers together with him. So God operates and we cooperate with his operation. But he is a senior partner. He has the blueprints. He has the architectural masterpiece. We are not just working for him, with him. Have a ministry. Not only ministry, but your own life, your family, your marriage, your career, ministry. You need to receive the blueprint from heaven. The Bible says, except the Lord build a house, they labor in vain that built it. That means before you build, the Lord must have first built. Except the Lord build a house. Those who build it labor in vain. So, before you build, the Lord must first build before you build. Because if the Lord has not built, what you are building is in vain. So, but God, how does God build? God built in architectural designs in eternity. And we build by putting those designs into structural, into structure. Before this building came, it was on paper. But now it is a structure. Aha. Uh-huh. So God first built by architectural designs in eternity. And we appear in space and time to enforce what he's already pre-planned and pre-arranged. And God has an architectural design for your life, for your marriage, for your family, for your career, for your ministry. That's why you cannot just make any decision in your life. You cannot just stand and say, I'm going traveling to, to this country. I'm going to Kuwait. I'm going to here. I'm going to here. As if you are the proprietorship of your own life. That is not Christianity for you. Christianity doesn't go like that. Christianity goes, <laughs> yeah. If God has not built, what you are doing is in vain. He must lead before you follow. Praise God. That's why you have to anchor. That's why if you are head of a family, you a man, you have to learn how to hear from God. Because your family is leading you. Know how God speaks to you. Hear from him and lead your family that way. The schools your children must go must be from God. Don't just look for best schools in the area. You have to pray first and receive from the Lord. Yeah. Yeah. Which area you should stay must be from God. First seek it on your knees and receive the pattern. The heavenly blueprint. You must live your life by the heavenly blueprint. Yeah. Everything. We are workers together with him. Side by side. So the work... It's not by drudgery or gradually. It's enjoyment. We are enjoying the work with him. Praise God. Hallelujah. We then. Now, Paul, look at the pronouns. He says, we. We beseech you. So there was the we and the you. The we are the apostles and the ministers. We are beseeching you. Now, the word beseech. It's a, a military word which conveys a sense of agency. 
Paracalio, in, in those days when the military was about to wage war or battle, the general would gather them and give them a short exhortation to encourage them for the battle. The short exhortation before the battle is paracalio. That's where we get the word beseech. And sometimes he literally has to plead or even beg. So the word he has to, has to do with pleading and even begging. So we then, as workers together with him, beseech you. Oh, Ramakai. That you receive not the grace of God in vain. But the truth is that this is not the first time he's beseeching them. Let's go to two verses backward. Two verses backward. Look at it again. <laughs> now, now then, we are the ambassadors of Christ. He's still referring to the same co-workers. He's referring to the, the ambassadors. He, he was not referring to the whole church as ambassadors. No, he's referring to the workers as ambassadors. Uh-huh. We now, <laughs> now then, we are the ambassadors of for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. Hmm. So that we are the ambassadors. So myself, Bishop Oti, and those that came with our ambassadors. We came to beseech you. <laughs> yeah. But the word ambassador here, presbyo, hmm. the word means literal interpreter. You know, we are ambassadors to the king. In those days, ambassadors were not like even these days. If you are an ambassador, you, go and, you don't go and speak your own opinion. Ambassadors were not interpreters. They were repeaters. You go and repeat what the king is saying. That is why in those days, kings, when they send you as an ambassador, ambassador to a, a, another nation, a kingdom, they will bring you after two years. Because they don't want you to compromise with the interest of that foreign of your homeland in that foreign land. Yeah. So you go and say exactly, they are repeaters. What your king is saying, repeaters. You, you can't speak your own mind, your own desire, repeaters. So what is Paul saying? We then <laughs> as ambassadors, literal interpreters, literal repeaters. That's the exact word. We beseech you. So that means that what they are saying, we are pleading with you. We are begging you. That means the king is begging you. The king is pleading. Now let's go back to our, our verse. Please do you understand? That means what he's come to see is very important. We then as workers together with him. So these workers are the same ambassadors. Beseech you. First, he said, God did, is beseeching you by us because we are, we are ambassadors. So, he pleading with you and begging you is Christ himself pleading with you and begging you. So, Christ is beseeching you. Please, do this thing, do this thing, pleading, 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 pleading. Paracalio. It, it is good for the battles of life, pleading. And what is he pleading? What is Christ pleading through us? That you receive not the grace of God in vain. <laughs> that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Now, what is grace? What is he saying? Now, this grace is connected to the righteousness we spoke about. Because in the previous verse, he is just saying we have been made the righteousness of God. 
And now he's talking about grace. And he's saying, we should not receive the grace of God in vain. You know why? Because the Bokarama Sunday. Because the Bible says that grace reigns through righteousness. Grace is God's unend, unmerited, undeserved favor. Favor for the ill-deserving. But grace reigns in righteousness. Romans 5 verse 21. It reigns through righteousness or it reigns by means of righteousness. You understand what it means? He just spoke of righteousness and now he's talking about grace. Let me explain. You see, Jesus became sin. He took your place. He went to the cross in your name. And everything you deserved, he received it. Uh-huh. Now you've taken his place of righteousness. He took your place of sin. You've taken his place of righteousness. All that comes with the blessing of taking his place is called grace. All the blessing that comes with the righteousness because he took his place. Remember that when he took our place, all the curse and the condemnation came upon him. Now that so it's an exchange. Now that we have taken his place, all the blessing he deserves for that righteousness is called grace. But it reigns through righteousness. So it is a foundation for the blessing. It's simple. You understand? The foundation. Yeah. The foundation. It's a foundation. When a covenant is made, um, when a covenant, man of God, can they come? When two people are, are entering the covenant in those days, it's, it's not just the two of us. It's all your generations and all my generations. Covenant is dangerous. So if we make covenant, it's not just me and you. All your children are for a thousand generations. And all my descendants, we are in the covenant. It's not just me and you. So, you know what happened? Solomon made a covenant with Hiram, the king of Ty. The Bible calls it brotherly covenant. And uh, after 200 years, in Amos 1.9, God said he was, he was going to punish Ty. Because when Israel was in trouble, they delivered Israel to Edom. So God was going to bring judgment because they have not honored the brotherly covenant. When was it done? In the days of Solomon, which was 200 years ago. <laughs> huh. So, in a covenant, normally, I've been demonstrating this always, take my place. Covenant means that I take your place, you take my place. All that is yours is mine, all that is mine is yours. All the blessing that comes with the covenant is called Hased. Hased. So, Mephibosheth, David and Abraham went into a covenant. David and Jonathan went into a covenant. 1 Samuel 18, 3 and 4. And uh, David became king, but Jonathan died. But because of the covenant, one day, he said in 2 Samuel 9, verse 1, ah, Is there any left in the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God? The word kindness is hased. Which is literally the word for grace. Grace is charis in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament it is hased. But hased is literally covenant kindness. 
covenant. Righteousness is covenant justice, the And grace is covenant kindness. There's covenant in each of them. So because Jonathan is there, but because of the covenant, he said, ah, I'm obliged at the covenant to extend a blessing to his seed. Because covenant is covenant. It is sealed by blood. So the proceeds, the blessings flowing from the covenant is called grace. So <laughs> he is obliged by law to extend a blessing. Because it's a covenant. <laughs> you understand? Uh-huh. Thank you very much. Thank you, man of God. So based on what Jesus did, God says that, look, he took your place and uh, you have taken his place. He was made sin for us. Who do you know sin? That we might become the righteousness of God. Just after that, he says, God is now be pleading with us that we should not receive the grace of God in vain. Uh-huh. Because you can set aside God's righteousness and live by your own. God is pleading. Pleading. Now, what does it mean to receive the grace of God in vain? <laughs> that word means you can come to a place where the grace of God doesn't profit you again. It doesn't benefit you again. Now, the word literally means the grace of God is not working for you. Favor you cannot earn. It's not working for you again. Let me give an example. Someone puts one million dollars into your account. Free gift. Hallelujah. I also receive it for myself. <laughs> we all receive it in Jesus' name. So the one million dollars is there. You have a notification from EcoBank. Your app that you have it and you are rejoicing. But you go to the bank, you have needs. Light bill is there. Your rent is there. All the bills are there. TV license. Um, DSTV. Many, many bills. And you know that you have to pay all of these things. School fees. So when you saw the amount, you are happy. But you went to withdraw and they said, you are, we, we are sorry. You are not permitted to withdraw it. Uh-huh. So now the grace is available but not obtainable. Yes. That is what it means the grace of God is in vain. It's not working for you any longer. So you are on your own. You have to struggle in life. It's not working for you. It doesn't benefit you. It doesn't profit you. God says, I'm beseeching you. I'm beseeching you. It's, 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 it's dangerous. It's dangerous. And, and let me go verse 2 and come back to verse 1. Huh. For he has said, I have heard thee in a time accepted. In a day of salvation, I have succored thee. Behold, now is accepted time. Behold, now the accepted time. Remember Luke 4, 18 and 19. Jesus came to declare the acceptable year of the Lord. Mm-hmm. The acceptable year of the Lord, we, we call, it, call it the Dectors year. D-E-K-T-O-S. The Dectors year. The Dectors year, that's the year of grace, is the year where the free favors of God profusely abound. Mm-hmm. The year where the free favors of God profusely abound. 
when Christ came, the fifth favors of God are profusely abounding. But acceptable year of the Lord is literally the year of Jubilee. The year of Jubilee. If you know about the year of Jubilee, it happens every in those days, the 50th year. When the year of Jubilee comes, assuming I'm owing all of you money, like I owe you 1,000 Ghana, 7,000 Ghana, 10,000 Ghana. When that day comes, it is cancelled. It's, it's cancelled. So people actually look for it for that day. <laughs> if I sold my land to you, on that day it comes back to me. If you mortgage a land, those things. And if you have a slave, you bought a slave with your money, the day of Jubilee, that year, when that first day, he's free to go. Every slave, every slave must go back. Everyone goes back to his family. There is restoration. There, there's too much blessing. And that's acceptable year of the Lord. And when is acceptable year of the Lord? In context, it comes when we are declared the righteousness of God. That's the same year. Uh-huh. He's explaining why you should not receive the grace of God in vain. Because we are in that year. He has accepted us. We are in, we are in the free favors of God. My, 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 my. So how do you receive the grace of God in vain? So don't receive it in hey, Jesus is beseeching you. He's pleading. He's begging. And I'm here as one of his ambassadors. And he's beseeching you through me. Now listen, you are now his righteousness. Uh-huh. It comes with grace, favors. But never receive it in vain. The surest way is self-righteousness. For self-righteousness, eh? Is doing things hmm, to attain righteousness. We are doing a lot of things to become righteous instead of embracing God's gift of righteousness. That's very, 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 very. That's key. Uh-huh. Because grace is favor you, you don't deserve. But now you want to earn it. You want to deserve it. Yeah. Bishops, yeah. So maybe you've, you've come here. Uh-huh. You want God to bless you, so you are doing so many things. You are living right, very, very holy, because you want God to bless you. You are falling from grace. Yeah, yeah. You are doing hard work in church because you want God to bless you. It's a problem. It's a problem. Huh. It's a problem. It's a problem. <laughs> yeah. You are fasting because you think that's a means for God to bless you. Yeah. It must be on proper foundation. I was telling one of the churches that I fasted for 40 days to speak in tongues. It didn't, it didn't work. And after that, I increased it to 60 days. It didn't work. So I was trying to end what was free. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let me explain this better with my, maybe, should it be my last verse or something? Explain this better. Um, Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews 5, verse 11. He's beseeching you. Oh, of whom we have many things to say and how to be uttered. Seeing ye are dull of hearing. The next verse. For when, for the time, ye ought to have been teachers. Ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. 
and I become such as have what? Need of milk. Now, what is milk in the Bible? If you are on milk diet, it means you are not matured. You are a baby. Is that not so? Yeah. 1 Corinthians 3 mentions milk. And Hebrews 5 mentions milk. They all refer to immaturity, but they are all addressing different things. They are all addressing two different kinds of immaturity. Are you following me? Yeah. Okay. So there's milk and there's milk. Maybe we'll call this kind of milk Nan One. <laughs> we call that one SMA. <laughs> different milk, but they're all for babies. And sometimes you have your baby and you can buy different kinds of milk. Aha. Uh-huh. <laughs> so the milk here is different from the milk in first first Corinthians three. Now first Corinthians three, he says that and I brethren could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto what babes in Christ. Look at what he said. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For until now you were not able to bear it. And even now you can't bear it. And these are the reasons. Are you not yet carnal? So there is envy, there is strife, there is division, and they work as men. So those who are carnal, they're always envying another person. They are always full of strife. Strife is the word for political party in in, in the Greek. Yeah, party spirit. Yeah, yeah, and divisions. Perhaps it's carnal. You know the word carnal? The word carnal is not strange. Now the word carnal in Greek means to be ordinary, to be a normal human being, to be natural. God, God doesn't like that. God doesn't want you to be normal because the Bible says that the carnal mind is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God. Neither indeed can it be. Now the law of God is the word of God. The carnal mind is not subject to God's word. So God doesn't want you to be ordinary. <laughs> if you're ordinary, you are carnal. You know what it means to be ordinary? If you some pain, oh, <laughs> Radhi. This thing will kill me. Oh. That's ordinary human life. It is not subject to God's law. You are standing at a junction and you saw your mates driving four by four. You thought he would stop for you. And it had rained. Where you were standing, it had flooded. And he splashed the water on you. And didn't even stop to talk to you. Instantly, you look down and go like, I failed in life. Look at me. Oh God, why me? All these years, it is called carnality. Yeah. You, this is the normal human life. You don't even know who you are in Christ. To, don't you know that he can... If you're not carnal, when he does that, oh, you just smile. Thank you, Father, for his life. I'm the seed of Abraham. Yeah. It's just a matter of time. Good things are coming to me. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Your mind is positive. You don't look down on yourself. You know who you are. Your placement in Christ is not by what you have and what you don't have around. Yeah. Know who you are in him and walk by that status. By that you are not ordinary. You are not carnal. <laughs> but let's go to the second carnality. It's the second type of milk. 
<laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hebrews. <laughs> yeah, none two. Yeah, so we finish with none one. <laughs> Hebrews 5, verse 12. For when for the time you ought to have been teachers, you should have been teachers long ago. But you have needed one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and have become such as have need of milk. Now, what is the milk here? The milk here is called the first principles of the oracles of God. It's called milk. Praise God. In English, this one is English. It's called milk. And in the Greek construction is the same. It is milk. So what is the milk here? Milk here is the first principles of the oracles of God. I want to explain. <laughs> this whole statement is describing the law. The law. The first principles of God's oracles. People most of the time don't interpret it well according to context, but it's the law. The word principle here is the Greek word stoikion. Principle, stoikion. S-T-O-I-C-H-E-I-O-N. Stoik, stoik, stoikion. Stoikion in Greek is the, is the whole system of merit. The system of merit. The system of merit. Please, are you following? Yes. The first principle of the oracles of God. Hmm. He was speaking to the Hebrews. Now, he wasn't speaking to the Gentiles who had become believers. He was speaking to the Hebrews. Their problem was that though they had come to faith, they were still using the old. <laughs> they were still coming under the law. They still want to be circumcised. They were still going to the temple to offer sacrifices, yet they were Christians. And the whole chapter, he was comparing Aaron with the ironic priesthood with Jesus' priesthood, Melchizedek. Because some of them were still going back. That's a problem with the Hebrews. They were not totally, fully convinced of the ultimate sacrifice, which is Christ. So in Hebrews, it has seven divisions, but I will not go into that. Christ, all is about Christ. Christ is better than Aaron. Christ is better than Joshua. It began with Christ is better than the prophets. Then Christ is better than the angels, chapter 2. Christ is better than Moses, chapter 3. Christ is better than Joshua, chapter 4. Christ is better than Aaron, chapter 5. That's how it goes. Is compa- comparative. Then here, hallelujah. <laughs> now, they didn't even know about Melchizedek priesthood, which is Christ. They were dull of hearing. Moimai, Aaron, Aaron, Aaron. That's what the people are dull of hearing. He said, Ah, the first principles of the oracles of God, hmm. the word of the beginning of Christ. The first revelation of Christ in the Pentateuch, in the Torah. Christ's first revelation in, Levit- in Exodus, Leviticus. It's a whole lot. But the word here is Toikayon. Toikayon is the system of merit. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. Is the word for principle here. Principle here. Aha. Now, you can find it in Galatians 4 verse 3. The same word. Look at Galatians 4 verse 3. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements, under the stoichion of the world. Anytime you see world in Galatians, he's talking about the religious world. In Galatians, it's the religious world. All the religious world uses stoichion. Judaism was based on stoichion. You do good, you get bad. 
all the religions of the East is based on stoic kayon. We call it karma. What you sow is what you reap. If you do good, uh-huh. if you do bad, uh-huh. <laughs> so that's it. You do good, you get good. You do bad, you get bad. That's stoic kayon. And that's how we raise kids normally. Hey, stop that. Sometimes I see Sunday school teachers, they are so tired. I see them warning their kids, if you do this, you go to hell. You go to hell. <laughs> they want them to comport themselves. and You have to rain fire and brimstone on them so that they can comport themselves. But they keep becoming worse and worse. Now, once upon a time, there was a good man who received bad. He was sinless, but he took your place. So a good man broke the story on. Do good, get good. Do bad, get bad. He did good, but he got bad. So that you who have done bad can get good. You, you understand? So the first principle is, is, I'm going to be blessed, but I'm going to earn it. I'm going to earn it. Yeah. I want to be blessed, but let me be active in choir. In the choir. So I, I, I want to earn it. Uh-huh. I, I, I want to be blessed. But, but let me do this spiritual thing. Uh-huh. Let me do good. It's called a system of merit. Uh-huh. So doing good or doing something or trying to live a certain way to get a certain blessing in Christ is called milk. It's immaturity. Mm. Mm. So most of you are guilty for the second. So we want to see those who are matured and those who are not matured. So those who are taking none too. None too. Many are guilty here. Yeah. You are so under milk diet. You know why? Because it's do good, get good. You are earning what Christ died to give you freely because of self-righteousness. Uh-huh. So all those who are self-righteous, trying to earn something, but their strength, but their effort to get blessed, they are not matured. They are still taking milk. Hmm. Praise God. Hallelujah. Yeah. You are praying for hours just for... Examine your motive in praying. Taking milk. But if you are coming to maturity... You know what God does? The next verse. For everyone that you said milk, do good, get good. Trying to end, trying to merit, is unskillful, more in my car. In the word of righteousness, for it's a babe. So when God is bringing you the word of righteousness, you know what it means? You are, you are maturing. That is what God calls maturity. 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 It's opposite to man's definition of maturity. Uh-huh. So those who have left the stoic ion, the system of Mary, and they are conscious of what is after the Father. Spiritual growth is not how much you do. It's not even how much you know. It's how much you know concerning his son. Uh-huh. And seeing what his son gave you is much more important on the Father's heart. Because the Father, hmm. all of heaven is mindful about the sacrifice of Christ. 
The angels are always talking about the sacrifice. Heaven is just mindful of the sacrifice. That's what they know. Aside from that, there's no life. All our lives spring from there. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. My, my, my. Hey. So righteousness, we, everyone that you said milk, he's not, he's unskillful in the word of righteousness because they don't understand what Jesus has done. They, they don't understand. So they are mixing it. They, they have not seen a clear picture. He's inexperienced. Matobakarade. In the word of righteousness. He's inexperienced. For he's a babe. And when we go deeper, the word in the word. See, in the Greek, this word has been used in a marvelous way. Jesus said, you may be limited in its use, but Jesus said, he that heareth these sayings of mine. He used the same Greek word. Paul says that, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. He used the same word here for communication. He used the same word for he that heareth these sayings. He used the same word for speaketh. The Lord speaketh. He used the same word here. So, sometimes the translators, it's a lot of words, so they just use one. So, you can now read it this way. Everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the speaking of righteousness. Or the communication of righteousness. For he is a babe. And you know the confirmation, the word is nepios. Aha. Uh-huh. Nepios is from two words. Nepios is a child who cannot speak. It's ne, which means not. And epos, speak. So literally it is not speaking. Well, everyone that uses milk is inexperienced in the speaking of righteousness, for he cannot speak. That is why, if we're maturing, you keep saying, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. <laughs> Look, you can speak. You know why? Because all the blessings are in righteousness. <laughs> but these guys are still using milk. They think they have to earn it. They are using the whole system of stoichion. They are still under the old system, earning, 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 and deserving and meriting, instead of believing and receiving. <laughs> Hallelujah. Because we are not receiving the grace in vain. He has given it to us. Don't neglect it and go and seek it your own. The next verse. But strong mates belongeth unto those who are full age. Who are those who are full age? Those who are skillful in righteousness. God says you are full age. Many of the church folks don't even know about righteousness. What they know is righteousness by works. But a new righteousness has been brought through the blood of the Lamb. Uh-huh. A strong meat belongeth unto them which are of full age. Even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. You know what? If our righteousness conscious, you work in discernment. And when you work in it often, you can easily separate the good from evil. I'm telling you. The Bible says, I work to righteousness and sin not. Yeah. When you are working in righteousness consciousness of who you are, I am the righteousness of God. Now, just think of it. The righteousness of God is coming. The righteousness of... It's a big thing. I mean the righteousness of God. It means you are as righteous as God. You know that. Because His righteousness is given to you. If you are conscious of it, He says you will not sin. Yeah. 1 Corinthians 15.34 You will not sin. 
you can design what is good for you. You are so you can easily design. You can design evil teaching from good teaching. Say amen. My brother, my sister, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Hallelujah. Slap your chest and say, I am the righteousness of God. I am the righteousness of God. In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Now, when you say that, you, are, you, are, you know what you are implying? <laughs> hey. Hey, what is Christ is yours? What he, what he deserves is what you deserve. Yeah, 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 yeah. You are in a son's place. So you declare it. Uh, you, after that, you declare whatever you want because all the blessings are yours. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You are the righteousness of God in Christ. Anything you are struggling with, as you declare it. Let me show you something. Sometimes, maybe someone is struggling. Masturbation. The person is trying to stop. Someone can stop outwardly, but he still desires it inside. Yeah. So he stopped, but as he was young, obey you. The desire it, it's not ended. So the person has not laid the axe at the root of the tree. Uh-huh. He has just flailed. He has just cut the branches. It will grow again. But when you confess who you are in Christ, it may not be as fast as the one who cut the fruit. Because when you cut the fruit, the fruit is gone. It's gone. But this one, you are digging the roots as you confess who you are, the righteousness. Just put your heart in it. Feel it. The desire will start coming up. Just a little time, you are free. And mean what you say, you are free. Mean it. Don't receive the grace of God in vain. The grace, the unmerited favor, the unend favor, don't receive it in, in vain. People are receiving it in vain. They think, oh, it's not necessary. We'll get it ourselves. We'll get it ourselves. They, they are not matured. Yeah, they are still using them too. Yeah. But let us be experienced in the word of righteousness. Let us be skillful. Lift up your voice. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. You have two minutes to pray. Two minutes to pray. He was made sin for you who knew no sin. He suffered in the in the frying pan, in the pan, in the oven. But all of these sufferings were in anticipation. God the Father had to turn his back to God the Son. The judgment of God's eternal justice was averted against the sun. All the clouds of darkness, of gloominess, of judgment and condemnation was laid on him. The father had to separate from his own essence. 
if it were possible, let this cup pass me by. He died for you. Righteousness and peace, they have kissed each other. Justice and peace have met together. There is a reconciliation. We are beseeching you, don't receive this grace in vain. This free favor, it's a free favor. Don't receive it in vain. It's free. Live by it. Walk in it. Excel in it. You will prosper by it. You will be acceptable by God and approved by men. Full of integrity. Full of dignity. Well pleasing to God. He that in these things serveth God is acceptable by God and approved by men. Hey! Hey! It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Yema Malonde, come alone, come alone. I dismiss every sickness in your body. I dismiss every pain in your body. I dismiss every disorder in your family. I dismiss every malfunction. Mama Roba Shimareba Kariba Sunday. Thank you, Jesus. Lift up your hands. Oh, receive the best from heaven. God bless you for listening. We pray that the word of God will be rooted and grounded in your heart as you give attention to the word. Kindly follow Pastor T and Love Economy Church on all social networks for more of God's Word. Don't forget to subscribe to the Pastor T Podcast. Simply search for Pastor T on any podcast app, plug in, and enjoy God's Word. Visit our website at loveeconomychurch.org for more information. God bless.